This morning we're going to be uh, considering uh, our penultimate in our series, uh, Reflections of Splendor. And uh, we're going to be looking at one verse, and this verse says this. For through him we have access to the Father by one Spirit. For through him we have access to the Father by one Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a a, a Bible teacher. He's uh, passed away now, but he wrote a series on the book of Ephesians, and this is what he said about these words. The whole trouble with the church is that we do not realize the meaning of a statement like this. Were we to do so, the Christian church would be revolutionized. Were we to do so, we would be lost in wonder, love, and praise. I went to a, a, a primary school, Parklands, in Swansea. And um, I remember those days. I remember them well. Relationships with the teachers were good. Uh, and they were good even with teachers like Jonathan Slipper Griffiths with his twitch. He had a twitch that just sort of kept happening. One teacher was held in dread, though, by all. Jonesy, the head, known affectionately to his adoring public as Hitler. He had a little little moustache. No one quite knew what went on behind his closed doors, but it moved many to tears. There was only one certain way to get in to see him. I still remember the warmth of my invitation. Fudge and I had been just got into the football team, and uh, we'd just been given our football kit. And we were showcasing the football kit to parents at the school gate. It was a little like a catwalk. Well, it wasn't really like a catwalk. What it really involved was us tying the, uh, the, the shirts, the green shirts, around our necks so they flowed behind us like uh, a bat scarf, bat cape. And then we had the red shorts on our heads. And it involved us running down the hill through all the parents uh, taking their kids home, uh, making noises like uh, red Indians. And I remember uh, the invitation to go and see Jonesy uh, from uh, the school assembly. Will the two boys who were seen running down the hill... Van Gabalfa Road, uh, with their shorts on their head, please come to see me. Well, I was slightly reluctant because I was a little nervous, um, but I did go and see him. Unfortunately, there was no happy ending. Of course, now it doesn't seem so bad. It just seems one of those stories that you tell. I think far worse is the thought of one day having to stand in the presence of the awesome, almighty, all-knowing, holy God who created the universe and having to explain why we've ignored him. Paul is encouraging us here in this verse that coming into God's presence doesn't have to be like that. For through him we have access to the Father... By one spirit. God has provided a way for us to come into his presence. 
For those who believe that this world was not the result of random chance, but was created by intelligent design, the ultimate goal must be for us to know our Creator. And the message of the Bible is that God not only hears our heart cry for relationship, but he's made a way for it to happen. And in our current series, Reflections of Splendor, we've been looking at the Godhead. We've been looking at what Christians call the Trinity. One God who is at the same time three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we may not understand it, but we believe it. The triune God exists in perfect community, where there are no barriers to communication. He's created us in his image for relationship with him. And one of the ways we can experience this communication, this relationship with him, is through prayer. And God wants us to come to him in prayer. Jesus teaches us how to pray, and the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. What do we think about prayer? Is it the sort of thing that we use when everything's going wrong and we're in trouble? Do we expect God to answer our prayers? Do we enjoy praying? Maybe we find it a chore. When we pray, are we confident that God is really going to hear us? Having prayed, do we still worry? When we pray, are we simply going through the motions? Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Of course, such prayers are useless. Because unless we have true confidence in them, it's not real prayer. And this verse that we've read this morning teaches us that there is only one way to pray. First of all, it's through him. I came across a painting this week. It's a a painting that I've been looking for for many years. I read a story many years ago about a painting, and uh, this week I found it. It's uh, a painting uh, that was... Uh, that was done for the Royal Signals. The Royal Signals had an unofficial motto prior to 1920. It was the word through. And the painting was uh, done by uh, 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 someone who had been in the Royal Signals, a painter called Francis Martin. It was painted, it was was a painting depicting an incident in the First World War uh, that he'd served in. And the picture is of an unarmed lineman lying in a Flanders battlefield. His arms outstretched in death beside his wiring pliers and telephone. He had just ensured communication was uh, was secured through no man's land and had died in doing it. It is a profound painting of an incident that really happened, probably happened many times. But it is a picture of what Jesus did for us. We come to the Father through him. Communication with the Father is restored 
through Him. The no man's land caused by our sin, our rebellion, our wanting to live independently of God. That no man's land has been crossed. And one has secured through his death and resurrection has secured our right to come to the Father through him. We can now communicate with a holy God through Jesus. Listen to these verses. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. You see, in that moment, when Jesus died for us, God's wrath, God's righteous anger at our rebellion, created beings' rebellion against the God who made them, God's just and righteous anger is satisfied because he punished him instead of us. Our sins are forgiven through the shedding of Jesus' blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sin. Jesus' right standing before God, his righteousness is imputed to us. We don't deserve it, but it's been given to us. The great exchange has happened. He has taken our sin and instead given us his righteousness on the cross. We receive his life. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. If we come to God through Christ, our praying should be characterized by faith and humility. Because it's not about us. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We stand before God by grace. It's not about us. Our prayers should be marked by faith in Jesus, which means that we believe what God says about us, not our circumstances, not our own feelings, not what others tell us. We stand before God, humble men and women, knowing that we've been saved by grace. We didn't deserve it. It's all of Him. If we come by faith and by humility, we also come by thankfulness. Does thankfulness Mark our praying. Do you get up every day thanking God that he loved you so much that he sent his son to enable you to have a relationship with the Father in heaven? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That should mark our cry every morning. And if we come by thankfulness, we should come with confidence. Our praying will be confident if it's based on a right understanding of what the Bible teaches. You see, Jesus' disciples watched how he prayed. They wanted to know how he did it. I mean, like them, we struggle 
to pray for five minutes, and yet Jesus prayed all night. Our cry, like Jesus' disciples, should be, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teaching is, is essential. You see, if, it, if we don't understand what Jesus teaches about prayer, our praying will be like a hit and hope. We'll be throwing it out there, just hoping that somehow God will hear us. Actually, we stand in a very different place. We should be confident before God. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 3.12. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. In him and through him and and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Do you get what that means? Do you understand what that means? I have the privilege of working with Barry. And Barry was uh, a colonel in the army. He was second in command, uh, in charge of all HR sort of stuff for the British army. And I sometimes, as I've learned to work with Barry, I will ask him, I'll ask Barry to do something for me. And Barry just says two words. He says, got it. When he first started saying that to me, I'm thinking, has he really got it? Did he really hear what I said? So what I would find is I would then send him an email or I'd ring him up. And, and, and I think I used to irritate him a little bit, but he's too gracious to show it. Because... I, I was learning to have confidence. The issue was in me about having confidence in him. When he said got it, he meant got it. The issue was in me. I needed to learn to be confident that when he said it, he meant it. We come before a God in heaven who loves us. Through Christ, we have access to him. We need to be confident before God. We come through Christ. Secondly, we have access to the Father. You see, Jesus enables us to have access where there was no entry before. Let me explain it like this. In the Old Testament, it talks uh, a lot about God wanting to come amongst his people and, and uh, to dwell amongst them. And uh, it used to happen like this, that God dwelt in a place called the temple. And uh, in the temple, there was the place where God dwelt, where his presence was, was called the most holy place. And no one was allowed in there. Only one person was allowed uh, uh, once a year, the high priest could come in and would come into God's presence and he would offer a sacrifice of blood to, to deal with the people's sin, wrongdoing. And it was a picture of, uh, it's a foreshadowing of what Jesus was ultimately going to do. But the most holy place was separated from uh, the outside by a curtain. And this curtain we're told, was about 60 feet high. It was about as thick as a man's palm. When Jesus died on the cross, he cried out this. His last words were, it is finished. 
When he said that, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 60 foot high curtain torn in two. God literally ripped it apart because he was saying, access into my presence is forever open through what Jesus has done on the cross. We come through Christ into the presence of Almighty God. We come, the writer to Hebrews says, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. We can come into God's presence. But I want to say it's, it's more than that. Annie and I used to be street pastors several years ago. And we used to go out on the streets of Winchester on a Saturday, a Friday night. And uh, uh, we used to go, we'd walk around with the rest of the street pastors. We'd go around to various bars and you'd chat to the bouncers outside the bars. And sometimes you'd look at these guys and you'd think, really, bouncer? But there were moments, they looked guys just like me, perhaps a little bit bigger than me. But there would be moments, they would allow people into the bar. But if there was the first sign of trouble, if they misbehaved at all, these guys suddenly sprang to action. We would occasionally see them uh, remove people from these bars, people much bigger than them, but they would basically uh, frog march them out. These people were allowed in, but they had to behave. When we come before God, it's not like that. You see, we have access to draw near to God. Charles Hodge in the 1850s said this, Access is not mere liberty of approach, it is introduction. Jesus hasn't just opened the door, he has introduced us. He takes us to his Father. He always now stands before God so that we are always welcome. And so as we pray, we should have two things. As we come to this God, as we stand before this God, we should have two things. Firstly, we should have a high view of God. He's sovereign. He's holy. He's all-powerful. Access to God is a privilege. It's not to be taken lightly. We come to one who can answer any prayer. He is one who can do more than we can even ask or imagine. He is incredible. We come before one who hears each one of us and who is working out his good, perfect, and pleasing will. And if we have a high view of God, we will trust him even if our prayer isn't answered or isn't answered in the way we expect. You see, if we have, a too low, if we have too low a view of God, we have too high a view of ourselves. And the result is when our prayers aren't answered or things don't work out the way we want, the result is we grumble, we complain, we moan about God's performance and his lack of care because we don't have a high enough view of God. We need a high view of God. But we also need 
a right view of God. You see, Paul makes it clear in this verse we have access to the Father. Not a Father, the Father. He is no uncaring deity. Through Jesus, we have been brought near. This morning, you may feel far away. You may feel distant. You may feel your, your performance, your behavior doesn't warrant you being able to come near to this God. But it's not about you. It's not about your performance. It's not about your feelings. It's about him. You come through Christ. You may not be good enough. In fact, you're not good enough. But he is. And when you come and stand before him, I want to, want to say this to you. You need to know that you're not there hoping to catch his eye. There's a big crowd of people and, and you're there and you're, you're hoping, maybe I'll catch his eye. If I catch his eye, maybe I can present my request. Maybe I'll, uh, he'll listen to me today. Maybe I'll catch a moment where he'll, I'll catch his eye and he'll say, Ah, oh, Steve, what, what was that prayer again? What were you asking? It's not like that. It is not like that. You are not coming hoping that you're going to catch his eye. You are the apple of his eye. What that means is you are the, the, the pupil of his gaze. You're the very center of his gaze. He sees you and he hears your cry. He hears your heart cry. You see, we need to understand that God is great. We need to have a high view of God. But we need to know as well that we are able to draw near. Theologians call it the transcendence of God, the glory of God, the splendor of God. And yet they also talk about his imminence, his nearness. He is a God who is great and awesome, but we can draw near through Jesus. How incredible is that? You see, our praying should be relational, not transactional. I was talking to Jonathan this week and he said, we were just talking about this. And he used that phrase, our praying should be relational, not transactional. You see, if we have a slot machine approach to praying, it means we have a wrong view of God. Slot machine. Whoa, come in. Okay, if I put my coin in. Oh, it's not. What's going on? I, have, I put my coin in and nothing's happened. If that is our view of prayer, we have got it wrong. Prayer is not a slot machine. I remember years ago being in Skegness. Skegness on the seafront. And uh, I, was a, I was a boy. My parents were wandering around. And I'd gone into one of the arcades. And uh, 
I don't know if you've seen those ones with, uh, they, were, they would probably be pennies, two pence pieces at the time. And uh, they, I don't know what they've done, they, I think they must have glued them or something because they never fall off. And you put a two pence piece in and it runs down these slots. And for those of you who don't understand, you, I'll try and explain it to you. So there's, a, there's a, a, a panel and you put a coin in at the top and it bounces all the way down, hits the bottom and there's a, 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 there's a, a moving platform like that and on it there are coins and some of them are hanging over the edge and if your coin manages to push some off you get whatever it pushes off that's your that's the winnings and so I put my be putting my two pence in and and nothing was happening and 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 all the coins would move but none of them would fall I'm thinking I'm putting my money it's not happening and so what do you do in that moment as a as a lad you give the machine a nudge don't you (laughs) you give it a little nudge if I did all the alarms went off. I ran out. My parents could hear all the alarms go off. They, they, they have no idea what I've been doing. And uh, so I run off and pretend nothing happened. But the point is this, okay? Sometimes we think God leads a little nudge. Come on, it's not work. Come on, God, you're not. Try and give it a little nudge. I tell you, when I gave it a nudge, the alarms went off. I tell you, God is holy. He's not to be messed with. He is not a slot machine. He doesn't respond to our slot machine prayers. What he responds to is our relationship because he is a father who loves us and knows what we need before we ask it. You see, prayer should be relational and based on trust. Jesus simply says... When we pray, we approach God saying, our Father. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps us. Paul says to the Romans, you receive the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit reminds us of our relationship with God as one of a son to a father. You see, prayer is an opportunity to spend time with God. You see, when my children were younger, Joe and Meg, they would come and they would ask for things. And they would, they would often come with outrageous requests. And when they would come with outrageous requests, actually, uh, they, weren't, they weren't always going to get, yes, that will happen. Dad, can I have this? But there was something in them coming and asking. There was something in the relationship. There was something in the response. There was something in what happened afterwards that caused, even when they didn't get what they were asking for, they left, they were laughing, happy. There would be something that happened in the moment, in the relationship, that actually made it all worthwhile. You see, coming to a father should be like that. We come to a heavenly father who loves us completely. And when we come and we ask and we, we, uh, we ask and we, we're sort of slightly off beam. There's something as we draw near to him that changes our hearts. You see, prayer changes us and makes us more like Jesus. God loves it when we come to him. God loves it when we come and seek his face. God loves it when we come and ask him. But what he does is he changes us. 
Paul pulls these two strands together, this high view of God and a right view of God. He says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You see, Paul acknowledges a high view of God when he talks about bowing down to God. You see, Jews typically stood and prayed. Paul says, no, we come and kneel before the Father. And in the same breath, he, he says that God is a Father. We pray to a Father. You see, Jews avoided using the name of God. And in this moment, what Paul is saying is we need a high view of God, but we need a right view of God. We come before one who is holy, but we come before one who is our Father. We come through Him, and we have access to the Father by one Spirit. I don't know how many times over the years I've heard people say this, Well, it didn't work for me. I prayed. didn't work for me. How many of us have said something like that? Sadly, I've thought that many times when I'm feeling sorry for myself. James, in chapter 4 of James, it says this. You don't have because you don't ask God. Sometimes I don't ask God. Sometimes I'm so busy, so get so panicky, so worried about stuff, I forget to ask God. How can I do that? Forget to ask God. Forget to come to him in prayer. Sometimes we're like that. You don't have because you don't ask God. When you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. Ouch. Wrong motives. What about you? What about when you come to God? You see, despite the encouragements to pray and the amazing truths we've just been considering, we still struggle to pray. We really do need help. And Paul says that through Jesus we have access to the Father by the Spirit. God the Spirit helps us. He is essential to prayer. You see, fundamentally, prayer is not about where we pray, when we pray, or even how we pray, whether it's standing, sitting, loud, quiet, or even silent. The essential element to prayer is the Holy Spirit. The essential element to prayer is the Holy Spirit. Paul urges all of us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So what is Holy Spirit inspired and empowered praying. I tell you, over these last 30 years, I have found the Holy Spirit helps me to pray. And it isn't always the same. I get up in the morning and some mornings I look out the window and I just see the beauty of creation. It stirs me and provokes me to thank God for the world that he's created. Thank God for giving me another day to enjoy. Sometimes I remember some of the things he's done for me that week and it stirs me in thankfulness to thank him and worship him. There are moments when I come to the cross and I remember what Jesus did for me. In fact, most days I come to that place, remember what Jesus did for me. Sometimes I open my Bible and I find a scripture that inspires me to pray and worship. There are moments when I'm praying that the Holy Spirit drops names of people into my heart to pray for. 
Sometimes he provokes me to pray for circumstances. Sometimes there'll be just one thing that's on my heart that I pray for. Holy Spirit-inspired praying looks very different to different people at different times. But God wants us to be those who pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. The Holy Spirit teaches us to pray, empowers us as we pray. You see, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, we'd never pray. Paul puts it like this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us, for us with groans that words cannot express. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. What's your weakness? Do you find prayer hard work? Well, join the club. There's a lot of people here who will find prayer hard work. You see, we're easily tempted not to pray. When we don't get immediate results, we tend not to persevere. Spurgeon said this, Do you desire to pray? Alas, what dull work it is unless the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. We need the Spirit's help. Prayer can be hard work. Sometimes, see, we, don't, we can't see God. We, God is spirit, and so we can't see him. And we're living in a world where we're told that seeing is believing. And so prayer is countercultural. We're called to be those who pray to a God we don't see. It's hard work. It's not easy. Sometimes our concentration isn't what it ought to be. Prayer seems to be harder than most other things to concentrate on. I don't know if you found it, but I I, I guarantee that if I go and I think I'm going to pray in bed, I don't pray and I fall asleep. Guarantee it. Absolutely guarantee it. My concentration just seems to go. You see, we have an enemy who doesn't want us to pray. No wonder in Ephesians, at the end of his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul talks about putting on the armor of God, and by which we fight against and contend against an enemy who tries to keep us from walking with Christ. And at the end, he talks about prayer, and he, uh, a prayer is clearly part of our warfare, it's a weapon of our warfare. Concentration is not easy, and so we need to battle for it and pursue for it. We doubt. We have unbelief. We struggle on occasions. We pray for things, but we think, I'm not really sure God's going to do that. And so we need to ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Where do you go when you're in trouble? Where's the first place you go? Is it the bank manager? Is it the pub? Is it the doctor? Maybe it's your worry beads. I don't have worry beads. You may not have beads, but I bet there's a number of people here who battle with worry. Sometimes you even pray. You pray and then you find yourself, oh, what's going to happen? What what am I going to do? And we're like, if you've ever seen Dad's Army, we're like Jonesy in Dad's Army. Don't panic, don't panic. Well, no one's panicking. You're the one panicking. That's us. We're to be those who go to God first. God first. 
You see, as the Spirit works in us and we learn to submit to Him and walk with Him and keep in step with Him, He is the one who enables us to cry, Abba, Father. As we draw nearer, our praying lines up more and more with the will of God. And as that happens, when we pray, He gives us what we ask. Spurgeon said this, If the Holy Spirit be indeed so mighty, let us attempt nothing without him. Let us begin no project and carry on no enterprise and conclude no transaction without imploring his blessing. As we come to finish this morning, there is one way, and it's through Christ. We come with faith, humility, thankfulness, and confidence. There's one way to the Father. We need to have a high view of God. We need to have a right view of God as our Father. And there's one way by the Spirit. He helps us in our weakness. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Michael Reeves says this in Enjoy Your Prayer Life. Prayer is not an abstract activity. It is the chief exercise of faith. It is exercising belief that the Almighty is my willing and kind Father and that accepting me in the Son, He wants to hear me and bless me. It is understanding that in fact each person of the Trinity is for us in our weakness. The Son gives us the right to come boldly in His name as accepted children. Then our Father and the Son give us their Spirit precisely to help us enjoy what it is to be children. That is to enjoy the loving, outgoing life of this God. I'm going to ask the musicians to come out and join me. Last night at the King's Chamber Orchestra, there was a beautiful little moment. And um, the moment was this. Gerard picks up this little violin case. And it's a violin case that belonged to someone here. It's Fred's. Fred Gibbons. And Fred had made a violin. He'd made a violin. And uh, they managed eventually to get it out of its case. And then one of the violinists played this violin. And it's hardly been played before. That's right, isn't it, Fred? It's hardly been played once or twice, but not much. But in the hands of a master, I tell you, it was stunning. 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 It was what it was made for. It was made to be played. God made each one of you. He made you. You were made for His glory. And some of you are like that violin. You've never been played by the Master. And today, God says to you, you can come to him through Christ. You can know him as a father. You can know his spirit dwelling within you. 
You can fulfill the calling of your life. You can know what it is to be filled with God's Spirit. And like that violin which was made to be played by the Master, God wants you to know Him as a Father. You can do that today. If you give your life to Him, you can do it today. It's what you were made for. And the thing for you may be that you know that you've been made by God. You know that you belong to Him. But you're a bit out of tune. So you can be a bit distant from God and you can suddenly find yourself out of tune. And a violin needs tuning up. Needs to needs the master's ear to tune it. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've found you're a bit discordant. Maybe you've got a you know you've been struggling with your view of God. Maybe you've been too casual with God. Maybe you've found felt God was harsh. You've had a wrong view of God. God wants to retune you today by his spirit. He wants to put you in tune. And when you're in tune, you're in tune with other instruments. That's what happens in an orchestra. They're to be tuned, to be in tune with one another. Maybe you find yourself a bit discordant here this morning. God wants to retune you. Maybe you know you need to be filled with this spirit. God is speaking to you today. I don't know what he's saying exactly to you, but he's speaking to you. He is here by his spirit. We come through him, have access to the Father. The Father is here. His Holy Spirit is here. He wants to meet with you. He wants you to draw near right now. Will you do that? We're going to stand and we're going to sing together. And at the end, there's going to be a moment to respond. So let's stand together and let's just allow God's Spirit to work on us. Let's sing. Let's draw near. Let's worship Him.